everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Hi. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, and that is my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm good. We're back. We're back. It's We're been a occasional. minute. Uh, many people very, very upset, as always, uh, but we promise to do this as frequent as we're able, and the clear translation on that is as frequent as we're able. Exactly. So. <laughs> Meaning we have... Many other things going on. Yeah, in our lives. yeah. We wish we could do more, um, but hey, we're here nonetheless. So, uh, first of all, this podcast is presented to you by Worldwide Cyclery. It is, and they are in our backyard now. They are. Reno. Yeah, they have a Reno location. Yes, they do, which is pretty awesome. So, uh, welcome to the neighborhood, gents. Mm-hmm. Uh, good to have you all here. And if you are from the region, and if you are looking to work for an awesome company, you should contact Worldwide Cyclery. Yes, and they have some openings in this region. So. And- Tell them that we sent you so we get a kickback from your salary. (laughs) I don't think that part works. Okay, never mind. (laughs) But uh, they're awesome. They're the best bike shop that you guys could come across. They know their stuff. They've been putting out a bunch of reviews on a ton of cool products, as always. Uh, Recently, uh, I've been seeing them do reviews on the new Zip wheels and that sort of stuff. They've been riding those, a bunch of stuff, which those are super interesting. We can probably talk about those. Actually, (laughs) let's just talk about those right now Okay, really quickly. Zip released some wheels that are single wall instead of double wall wheels. And can I take a quick stab at describing what the difference is there? Yes. For people? Okay. So it doesn't mean that there's like double thickness. What it means is that if you look at a normal bicycle rim and you look at a cross section, like you cut a carbon rim. Okay. Yeah. In half. And if you're to look at it long wise, you would see basically like sitting down like two legs, you would see the bead if Mm -hmm. you were sitting on the ground and then you would see the rim bed. And that's where like you would tape the spoke holes, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then if you traveled through the carbon upward, you would see a a hollow cavity and that's kind of a domed shape and the spokes attach to that and they go through that hollow cavity. Yep. So you basically have two walls Mm -hmm. for that rim in that structure. Yeah. Whereas if you were to do that to a motorcycle wheel, you would see if you did a cross section there, you wouldn't see that cavity. You would just see one single wall. Yeah. There's no hollow cavity. They tried this for a bit, DID did, mm-hmm. and I remember Kawasaki's came with these wheels stock for a bit, that sort of a thing, and it was really tough for dirt bikes because they gave too harsh of a feel to have a double-walled rim. Yeah. <clears throat> so then they started doing some weird things with lacing, but then it made it so that it was hard to ever get it true, and it would fall out of true really easily, so it just wasn't a good mix. So Zip is like, hey, motocross does this. They're let's try it. Less like everybody else in the mountain bike world, right? Uh, it always seems like they end up doing stuff like that. So Zip released these wheels, and they're definitely a game changer because I haven't seen anybody else do something like this in the mountain bike world. No, not in high end stuff, especially not in carbon. Yeah, in fact, I have seen cheap wheels mm-hmm. and like BMX style wheels and stuff. Those are single wall a lot of the time. Uh, basic stuff. Yes. Sometimes they are. <clears throat> I used to have single walls on my specialized. Vegas, TJ Lavin edition. Ah. Yeah, dirt jump bike. TJ Lavin, Google it. Yeah, yeah. I follow him on Instagram, by the way, now all of a sudden. Like, I found him, and uh, I'd met him way back in the day. I think he went through a spinal cord injury of some sorts. Something like that. I believe he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but regardless, uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff to see them try this. And talking to Nate Hills, who, clarification, he or sorry, I, I should say a disclaimer, he is sponsored by Zip. Yes. Uh, but are sponsored by SRAM and thusly zip. It's all the same, same parrot company, but he's been running them for quite some time. And, uh, Nate being a Yeti ambassador and us having the relationship that we do, I, I, he speaks to me in confidence Mm -hmm. and he has only good things to say about these wheels, especially the durability, which I think is everyone's main concern. Right. 
Well, that, that's the difference with these single walls. They can actually make the rims thicker and make them stand up to, you know, rock dings and abuse and bottom outs and things like that. Because yeah. they don't have to worry about the weight in dealing with two completely, you know, basically two walls yeah. worth of rim material. In- interestingly, they'll still, but they'll be more compliant at yes, the same time. They will. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole pitch behind these wheels is the fact that that it allows, they, they talk about it. And I think they even used the incorrect word when they were talking about it on, um, on pink bike when it launched, but it basically allows the, the rim to like torsionally flex Yes. more. So if let's say that you're go you hit a rock and that rock is only underneath the left side of your rim. Theoretically, it would allow the rim to deflect in a torsional matter mm-hmm. rather than just passing that straight up into vertical deflection into or lateral deflection, something or, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, it's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys at Worldwide Cycler have been trying them, and and they've and they've been trying them for a long time before they were released. Even they had some access to them, and from what I gather, they're they're fans. So awesome. Interesting. It's good to see. Cool. Something like different, it. huh? Yeah. Uh, should we just get into, and so, yes, anyways, go to Worldwide Cyclery. Go to mtbpodcast.com. Go to the store if you want to buy something from Worldwide Cyclery. Then click on the banner. You can go through there. Yeah. Uh, let's get into some, not really a lot of news, just some news. Little, little things. Sounds good. Let's okay. do it. News team, assemble! First bit, we should cover some racing. Yes. Because a lot of that has happened. I mean, many things have happened. We are in season. Yes, it is in season. And I wanted to tip our listeners on to some really good race coverage, which is from, you could call it crosshairs or CX hairs. I'm not sure. Hopefully uh, they can tell me exactly how to pronounce this, but CX hairs, they've traditionally done cyclocross coverage, but they also do mountain bike cross country coverage in North America. Cool. And it's been great. He does a great job. He does this thing called the heat check where he basically ranks the top riders on a purely arbitrary scale. That's up to him. He ranks the top <laughs> riders, but it's fun. So it's really accurate. good. Yeah. Yeah. I think <clears throat> it's good. Yeah. Uh, and he ranks the riders on male and female top 10 and it's really cool. Nice. Uh, and then he also just has great, XC coverage. So I would recommend that. Also, shout out to Pink Bike. Pink Bike has had fantastic XC coverage this year. They have. And Red Bull TV has done an incredible job as always mm-hmm. with their coverage of the races. Yeah. More shouts, many shouts. Uh, Chloe Woodruff. Yeah. Friend of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And she won the uh, the Short Track World Cup at Nova Mesto, which yeah. is huge. That is huge. Uh, shout out to Kate Courtney who Third? has been just destroying yeah. things. Yeah. She's won both World Cup rounds so far. Um, she's ri- she's ripping, and then also to Keegan Swenson, who got a second row call up for. Or first of all, he got a third row call up in the short track mm-hmm. uh, for. I should say he earned that third row call up in short track for the XCO race. Yeah, and then earned a second row call up as well. And he's just fitting some pieces together, and I think before long we're going to start to see Keegan Swenson, an American male, toward the front end of these cross country races and making serious moves. I can't so, wait to see that. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. He's there in the beginning of the race, and it's not as much like a fitness thing that he falls away. It's just learning to execute in that environment is complex, yeah. and I think that's the that's what he's figuring out. Absolutely, so, it's pretty exciting stuff. Totally. And then on the other side of racing. We should also cover Carson City Off-Road. We have to. Because it's coming up. It is coming up. Three weeks? Uh, yeah, it's at the end of June. Yeah. So, oh, four weeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that race is coming up. This is a race that both of you and I are doing. I mm-hmm. think we're both doing the 35. Yes, we are. Right? Yeah. yeah. 35 is the new 50. It is. People say that about age or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe backwards. I'm not sure. But that's what we are doing. We're going to do the 35. I just don't have anything that the 50 would really build toward for nationals. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool part about these races. They've got options for everybody. 
And if you do the 35, I would encourage you to not feel like it's you're missing out. Cause I feel like a lot of people feel like, Oh, I didn't do the, the 50. So it's not that important. No, I don't think so. I, I look at it this way. Sure. I could survive the 50, but I'd rather enjoy the 35 totally and be, you know, semi-competitive with yeah. myself. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, and if it's the 15, then you should do the 15. If it's, that's the cool part about these races. Yeah. They have all those options, uh, but plenty of concern that people have about the course because we recently got crazy weird late season snowstorms. The Sierra. Uh, yes. What can you say? And we had a ton of snowpack up high this year and uniquely we had a lot of snow packing in from, we had storms that came down from the Northeast. And a lot of the time our storms come from the Southwest. Yeah. But this year, since they came from the Northeast, they deposited a lot of snow on, on high on facing the peaks. slope. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. On the East Northeast slopes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's plenty of concern that, you know, that it's going to be too much snow and, but I talked to Todd Sadow. He mm -hmm. has some really cool plans in place. Yeah. Contingencies are absolutely in place. People don't, these events are so good. Yeah. People need to understand that like Todd and his crew, they have everything figured out from so far out. Right. Yeah. Um, so they have, uh, they have plan B's plan C's the whole thing in place mm -hmm. and we're going to stay in the high country regardless. So yeah, we're going to have a good race. It's not going to be it's gonna be awesome. It's, it's going to be, be crappy. So definitely yes. if you've been on the fence about it, just Register and be done with it. Come please join us. us. Yeah, and, please join and us. And since we're doing the 35, I, I plan on riding with you, Steve, the whole time. Okay. So just making it a fun day. Okay. Like it, it'll be a, it'll be a blast. So I'm going to have to so. work hard and you're going to just hang out with me. Well, Got it. Hey, yeah. I'll carry all your gels. Oh, How about good. that? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be fun though. It will I, be. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So it should be a blast. Uh, the next bit of the stuff that we need to cover because so sh as of recording today, Shimano finally released 12 speed XT and SLX. Um, I don't know when the release date is on those because they released Next XTR. Yeah, because they released XTR <laughs> a year ago, but I still don't even know if you can get XTR. But, yeah. So they're having some issues with that, but it's good to see that they released that. But let's talk about top tier group sets because you and I have Axis, XTR9100, and XTR, or, and um, XX1 Mechanical. XX1 Mechanical Experience. Yes. So I have Axis on my SB100, and I, I have a good amount of time on it. And I have it on my Habit 29, and I have a lot of time on it. And uh, so, yeah, I think I have six races and probably about 14 or 15 training rides on it. Okay. So uh, sufficient. Yes. In my mind. Of course. Uh, you may disagree, but that's okay. And you being the listener. Yeah. Um, then on XDR 9100, what do you have that on? I have about, I have it on my scalpel um, limited edition. Okay. Um, it's what came on the bike. Nice. I do not have a, the Shimano crank set, but that's only because Cannondale has their, the, the silly right. AI bottom brackets that you have to have special. Well, crank I think Shimano is still struggling with those cranks too. They are. Um, so, out. so not a huge deal, but I have the complete XTR 12 speed drivetrain other than crank and front chain ring, which is not a huge deal, but I wanted to, you know, note that. And then you and I have been on Mechanical Eagle for the past two years. Yeah, and I have plenty of experience on GX, on X01, and XX1. So let's compare XX1 to Axis first. Okay. And I shouldn't say XX1. Let's compare Mechanical XX1 to Axis XX1. Okay. Because we both have that. Yes. So in my experience on Mechanical Eagle, mm -hmm. I am constantly having to make micro adjustments to get it to shift perfectly. Yeah, it's not a ton, but it's just like weird little things. And then you have to turn that barrel adjuster. Like a know? sixteenth of a turn. Yep. It's just a tiny little bit, but and literally every 30 to 45 minutes, it'll just decide <laughs> that it doesn't want to shift perfect anymore. I feel like the tolerances on Mechanical Eagle are very 
tight. Yes, and for a cable actuated system, I feel that it's not precise enough. Yes, I completely agree. I feel like Mechanical Eagle has been great Mm -hmm. 98% of the time. Yes. But then those little frustrations are there. Yes. And I felt like 11 speed shifted better, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I had way less issues with 11 speed when they had that with just the 1042 cassette that they used to have. Yeah. Um, and even taking the 11 speed and putting an E13 cassette on it or whatever, sure. it still shifted beautifully. And I felt like, and I felt like it shifted better than mechanical Eagle yeah. that said the range was awesome and it worked well enough most of the time that I yeah. overlooked that and it's fine to own it. Yeah. Now, uh, let's talk about Axis. I, Axis fixes all of that. I completely agree. Axis being, you know, electronically actuated with mm-hmm. servos. I have not had to mess with a single thing. I have Same. scratches on my derailleur cage already. Same. I have I've I've been beating that thing up on the habit. Yep. And I haven't had to do a single thing yet. I haven't had to adjust my derailleur hanger. Nothing. Nothing. It's perfect. I even had that breakaway system that it has with the clutch. I yeah. even had that. I've used that twice now. Yeah, I've never used it even. One time when my bike fell over, yeah. uh, the wind blew it over and it slammed down on the ground. Oh, good. And it hit and it just went, and I saw it completely disengage. Nice. It was pretty sweet. That's awesome. And then uh, it happened, I'm sure, during my really big crash that I had in Utah where yeah. I was completely torn up from that one. Gotcha. So I have. I feel like the shifting is the best shifting I have used yet. On road, on anything. Yes. It is the best shifting I have used yet. 100%. It is extremely precise. It's very easy to set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the I, I'll, we'll talk about the controller, as they call it, instead of a shifter, but we'll talk about the controller in a bit. Yeah. But it's very easy to sync them. You use the app. It's very straightforward. The instructions are clear. They have a YouTube video if you can't figure it out. Yep. Uh, the derailleur and the shifter or the controller, they sleep when it doesn't sense any motion. Mm-hmm. But then once it senses motion, it wakes up, it does which wake is really up on cool. At first, we had that concern because we would sit yeah. there and it wouldn't work. And yeah. we're like, Because I just on? had it sitting on my desk. And it was like, the f- it's the most fun toy to have like a, a like a it's like a fidget spinner, basically. Yeah. You just like have your derailleur and then you have a little clicky controller and just click, 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 and you get to see your derailleur move up and down. You like subconsciously do it while you're working, you know, (laughs) but that's a very expensive (laughs) thing to have just to play around with on your desk. But then we, that's when we would notice, Hey, it doesn't work. But then once you move them around, they wake up, which is a clever system. The crazy thing is when it's on the back of your car, Mm-hmm. on the rack and mm-hmm. you're driving around, it doesn't wake up and go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep. So it must have some sort of filtering algorithm. Yeah. I don't know there. what it is, but yeah. Interesting. Cause that would kill the battery. You'd think. Yeah. And I've been getting great battery life with it so far. I charged it last week. That's it. For the first time. For in, the first time. Six races and 15. Which is rides, we, Yeah. So that's basically like a uh, four weeks basically that I've had the thing. Yeah. Five weeks. Yeah. Got Cause it. one of them, I did that stage race. So a yeah. ton of races packed into one. Yeah. Um, but on ETAP on the road, geez, man, I get like two weeks out of a battery and I feel like I have to change it. So yeah. I don't know what the deal is. Cause in my mind, it's se- and they're the same batteries. Mm-hmm. I feel like the mountain derailleur is bigger and has more to move and more distance to move. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is, but I don't know either. The battery life is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm impressed with it. I haven't had to charge mine yet and I've had it on for almost a month now. Granted, I don't ride as much as you right now. Right. Dealing with some weird so, stuff. But yeah. when we can we talk about the controller? Yes. I can't stand it. Okay, I actually found the fix for it to where it's super comfortable for me now. Okay, so, so the main gripe that I have is that 
I can't get the controller into what I feel like is the right position. Yes. So when you have, uh, and we'll talk about this in our, in our deep dive here in a bit, Yeah. but basically when you have, uh, Typical, let's just talk SRAM for a second since we're yeah. talking about axis here. When you have a SRAM break and then you have a SRAM shifter. And the matchmaker. You have the matchmaker set up that mm -hmm. relocates the shifter slightly inboard or outboard of your clamp, right? Yes. And it does that and it gives you the options to then shift that wherever you need it to be. Yeah. So we'll talk more about this on proper alignment later on, but... Uh, and then also the shifters have two different mounting positions that you can utilize yes. to really kind of fine tune it. I feel like with the controller, I have not been able to find the right position and I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. I've talked to plenty of other people who yeah. absolutely agree. I can't find the right position so that this thing feels comfortable mm -hmm. or feels like I don't have to think about moving my thumb into the right spot because you don't want to rest your thumb on this thing. No, because you will barely touch it and it moves. It and shifts. That's the other big complaint I have with the trigger shifter. It should have a much more positive click with more resistance Yeah. because the other problem is I'll come into a turn. So in Utah, we had this short track race, mm -hmm. really fast, wide open straightaway into a tight 90 degree or tight 180 degree turn. Yeah. Right. So you're all the way. I was in the 10 every time. And then I'd have to shift down to basically a stopped pace for that 180. Yeah. I'd be coming into that turn, breaking bumps, going fast, breaking. I have no clue if the, what my thumb is trying to do and shifting is shifting every gear or just one gear because I can't hear or feel the clicks at all. Okay. And whereas with mechanical, you can really feel the click, 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 yeah. click, click when you're pushing through with that long throw lever, yeah. you can't feel that at all when you're bumping through stuff coming totally. into a turn. Absolutely. So I would get into that turn and then every time I'd be like, oh geez, I'm in too heavy a gear or I'm in too light of a gear, or it was always because I had no clue what gear I was in. Yeah. So th that would be, if you, if they made it so that it was a, a harder throw with a more positive or audible click. Yeah. You would, I feel like solve one problem of you'd be able to rest your thumb on the thing and it would be totally fine. Totally. And then it wouldn't be shifting all the time on mm -hmm. you. Um, but what have you fixed it? So or have you fixed the ergos? The way that I fixed my ergo is on guide brakes. I used to put my lever about a half inch from my, uh, my, the end of my grip. Okay. And that was about the perfect position or so I thought, but then I started getting on my, my middle finger. I started getting, um, marks from the brake lever hitting that when I'm one finger braking. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was I shifted the brake levers in. So they're about one inch away. Yeah. I don't get that feeling anymore. Then I put the left offset matchmaker mm -hmm. shifter adapter, the one that goes inboard yep. and then put the controller on in the, the left hole so that it sticks back further out. Yeah. So what that does is that put it actually in a perfect position where I can rest my thumb either above my bars or wrapped on my bars. And I have about a quarter of an inch of clearance and I don't touch the shifter at all anymore. Yeah. So I don't touch the shifter, but I still am not in a good spot to be able to shift as effectively as I want. Got it. Okay. And I have to think about it and it's, it's frustrating. And that's it, like, they, yeah. they need to change that because it is a very different shifter from everything else we're used to. Oh, so if yeah. you set it up, how you set your normal XX one mechanical shifter up or X one or GX it's or whatever, not be right. it's not going to be right. It is yeah. very different. And I even tried, so I tried getting rid of matchmakers and just using its own clamp. 
Nope. Doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. And part of the reason why it's more complex in my case is because I have it on my SB100 with SRAM level ultimates. Yeah. And the SRAM level ultimates get rid of all adjustment and they have a really long lever. Yes. A particularly long one. Yeah. And the reason they have that is to give more leverage, more leverage because yeah. the brakes are underpowered. Yeah. So uh, because of that, it makes it really awkward. And we'll talk about positioning later, but I have my brakes positioned such that I just have my index finger right at the very end of that lever. Yeah. Right. And that's how I am on mine now as well yep. on my brakes. Yeah. And yeah. it's just really tricky. So, uh, SRAM, you nailed it on everything except for the controller. Yeah, the, the ergonomics of the controller is bad. Yep, that um, needs to improve. And also, it, the other thing that I noticed is if you do, so with what I did where I had the left offset matchmaker adapter mm -hmm. and then tried to put it inboard even further, so I'd put it in the right threaded hole, Yeah, it actually hits the brake lever, like the actual oh, yeah. mount yep. of the brake, yeah. so you can't use that. So right. it's actually... Uh, ergonomically designed where it sits too far up and too close to the actual brake lever yeah. mounting system. Yep. I've had that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty frustrating for sure. It is. Um, if you run togs, then it's really hard oh, because yeah. that, that the lever it sticks up into a weird spot. It doesn't need to have that angle or stick down as far as it does. I yeah. don't understand why it does that. It should be honestly, make it this, make it round make the body of it cradle around the handlebar or something. I don't know. Like, like you could do things to tuck it in a little bit better. Yeah. And then the paddle definitely needs to be improved. Now you can shift with your index finger, now. which is cool. It's like rapid fire on Shimano, which that's actually one thing that I really enjoy. But I found that it breaks my brain because it's backwards. So basically when you're shifting and I have to think about this right now, but Gone is you don't have two paddles for your thumb. It's yeah. just one and it's a toggle switch and you're rocking it you up or rock it up it or rock it down. Yeah. And when you rock it up, it makes it harder to pedal. When you rock it down, it makes it easier to yeah, pedal. So you're going default. up a gear when you, as the default. So yep. now, when but then you, when you use your trigger finger or the index finger, like as the trigger, it's on the same rocker arm. Yeah. So it's backwards basically. So the, that's making you shift into a harder gear yes. as well. So, so it's when you're standing up sprinting, not when you're transitioning to yes. a climb standing up, yes. which is what rapid fire usually did. So if you're confused listening to this, I totally understand. Yeah. I'm confused and I ride it every day. Yes. So I don't even bother with the index finger anymore because it was throwing me off because I was like, wait, wait, that same action, my thumb does a different action. It does a different thing. Yeah. And then I talked to Nate Hills about this and he was like, yeah, at first I like customized the buttons and then I felt like, no, that's wrong. So then I went back to normal, but then I felt like that was wrong. So I customized them. He's like, now I just don't know what happens anytime I press a button because his <laughs> mind's like broken, you just, right? Yeah, you press a button and <laughs> yeah. hope for the best. <laughs> so the nice, the cool thing is, is you can run their electronic dropper or their wireless dropper and you can just run the remote, which just is a single paddle Yeah. on one side for that. Or you can get another shift controller. Yeah. And if you get the other shift controller, you could basically run it so that you could, you know, shift on both sides, I guess, technically. I don't know. Maybe you could. I think you'd have to be inverse oriented. I don't know. But Either I've way. seen a lot of people use like their shifter and have it so that they just press upward and then that is shifts and then they press down and that uses their dropper or something like that. There's like a hold. People are it. customizing a ton of stuff yeah. with it. But I recommend just sticking with something, and I would stick with default. Because and I left it at default. I haven't messed around with anything. It's yeah, fine. It's fine. It, that's the thing is I didn't like the way that SRAM shifters felt when I went from being um, XTR 10-speed yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. I didn't like how XX1 felt, and I yeah. got used to it, and now right. I love it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, you just have to get used to it. Things are different. Yeah. So SRAM, uh, out of the park on a lot of things, but the shifter needs work. The yes, controller, I absolutely. should say. The controller ergonomics are off. Yep. They, yeah. Those could be better. Yeah. Um, and then also it'd be sweet if we could somehow separate the function of the index trigger and the index finger triggering, and then also the thumb triggering. It'd be sweet if we could separate those. So then when I push in the same direction, it does the same things. That would be awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, now let's compare this to XDR 9100. How does it shift? And I haven't spoken to you about this. How does it shift compared to XTR9100? Because Shimano has largely been understood as like, yeah, SRAM gives you the range, but it doesn't shift as cleanly as Shimano. Now, what's funny is in Shimano's 11-speed stuff, Mm -hmm. I did not like how it shifted except for the XTR Di2. I liked that. Yep. But as far as mechanicals go, I did not like Shimano at all. What what didn't you like about it? The shifters just felt clunky. Yeah. Um, The shifting wasn't right. I felt that the Shimano chains weren't great. I felt that um, a KMC chain made the shifting more smooth on any Shimano system, which is kind of what I did to overcome the clunky, you know, shift into a harder gear clunk. Yeah. Um, But XTR9100 is by far the best mechanical shifting mountain bike drivetrain I have ever felt in my life. Super, like, smooth, precise, consistent? It is so quiet and so smooth and so consistent, I don't know if it's shifting, except that it gets harder to pedal. Wow. That's how I notice it. Wow. That's impressive. And I'm running it completely stock, stock 9100 chain, the 1051 cassette. Mm Mm-hmm. It is butter smooth and precise and perfect, and I have never had to adjust cable tension at all. Huh. So how does it compare to Axis? Because Axis is clean shifting. Axis is clean shifting. Um, I would say the Axis is as clean and as perfect in that sense. Yeah. I think the only thing that Axis has on it is aesthetics. Yep. Because of the the oil slick, you it know, coating. Really cool. And if the you're fact into that, that it's completely wireless. Yes, and you know, nice. so it cleans up everything on that sense. Um, I think, I think performance-wise, they are like it's a dead heat. Wow. They are absolutely the same. And at that point, you just have to pick: do you want a cable or do you want batteries? Yeah, because both the ninety-one hundred and Axis are like I can't pick a clear winner. Well, wow. I'm riding both of them. That's impressive. But I will tell you that they are both better than XX One Eagle Mechanical. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so we I've gotten the question of yeah, mechanical eagle or XX1 and I've been telling everybody look like if you have the money to consider such a thing then just go for Axis. You're saying yeah, exactly. You're talking mechanical eagle versus Axis. Okay. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sorry yeah. if I misspoke. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Yeah, but they like if you have the money to consider such a thing then yes, just go Axis. Just go Axis, yeah. Going to be it's going to be a better performer, but yeah. on the Shimano side that's pretty cool. Now if only they could make a DI2. True. Yeah, which I Maybe they will in two years. Of course, I'm sure it's already, you know, made and everything else. They're just working on refining it. But yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. And what I will say, you know, the one thing that I don't like about both SRAM Axis and Shimano is that you have to buy it complete with a crank set. Yeah, because I don't need the cranks. We don't need cranks. And if you're a Cannondale rider, then that makes it even more complex. Now, here's the thing. Mm. SRAM did finally, they actually released and they will have them out later in June, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, They will have the AI specific SRAM dub cranks in XX1 only. Okay. In the XX1 carbon. So you will be able to buy a dub XX1 Eagle Axis crank set. AI. 
AI <laughs> rolls off specific for the Cannondale AI, and uh, huh. so that's that's going to be good for us in the future. But you will still hopefully they get to mm-hmm. a point where they'll sell the drivetrain without the cranks, and yeah. then you can just buy the cranks separately. Yeah, because for Cannondale guys, that's a big thing. But then the cool thing is, then that opens up cork power meters yep. to us as well, which is what I'm waiting for as well. Yep. Yeah. So. Exactly. That's really good news for yeah. you. So, uh, I liked Axis so much that I bought it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So, uh, my wallet hurts a lot. So is it a 12 um, by 12 drivetrain or do you just have it on two (laughs) bikes? I actually have the, the cassette mounted up to my chain ring on the front too. Okay, good. So it's a 144 speed bike. (laughs) That's exactly right. It gets confusing. Uh, It does. Yeah. (laughs) Um, no, but I got it for the 150 as well, uh, which my 150 should be built here soon. Cool. And the 100 and I'm working with stickered S T I K R S T I K R D on some Mm -hmm. Some decals that are going to make them look really cool. Richard's doing a lot of really cool custom stuff now. He is. Yeah, yeah he's printing on some crazy media. So, um, so anyways, working with him on some really cool stuff, and I'll have the bikes to, to show there. But I like it a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually sent off one of those crank sets to Four Eyes to get a power meter installed, uh, oh, good. which is really cool. Yeah. And on the 150, you can't, you don't have enough room because you need to fit a AAA battery between the crank arm and the frame and the chain stays basically okay you need to be able to fit a triple a battery in between those and to make sure you can fit the power meter and i can't on non-drive but on the drive side i can so so they're gonna for they're gonna do a power meter on your drive side yep so i sent it off and they're installing it on the the drive side that's really cool it's a really cool system and four eyes is known as amongst in inside the industry here they're known as one of the most accurate or one of the companies that has nailed accuracy better than anybody else basically wow so Quark is highly respected. Mm-hmm. SRM is also respected, but SRM is very slow to innovate, comparatively speaking. Yeah. Um, but Four Eyes is very high. So, nice. And the cool part, too, is they're all a bunch of mountain bikers. Like yeah. They're up there from Canada, awesome people. Yeah, um, yeah really cool. So um, I'll have a review on that power meter coming out at some point soon nice. uh, for the 150 because I must have the powers. Beautiful. Uh, okay. This week we're going to skip questions and save that for an upcoming episode that we'll be recording shortly. Yes. Uh, but we're just going to jump straight into the business and that business is all about cockpit setup. Yes. All right. Not airplanes, not airplanes. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's jump in. It's business time. All right. So first things first, we're going to be talking about bars or STEM bars, Mm -hmm. Grips, levers, shifters, dropper post levers, and other accessories you may be putting on your handlebars. All of the stuffs. Yes. Uh, so let's start at the steerer tube and let's work out from there, basically. And then we'll end with accessories that you may be putting on your bars that aren't critical to its function as a bicycle. Okay. Sound good? So, but first we have to start out with the stem cap. Indeed we do. <laughs> so, MTV podcast I see what you. I see what you did there. That was pretty Product good. Product placement. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess actually first we should start with spacers. Yes. Underneath. Slam it. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. Not no always, spacers. Take no, those spacers out. Not always the best answer. I know. Um, that's true. Especially if you're looking at riding really steep stuff, mm-hmm. then you want to have some stack underneath there. Like you'll see the EWS guys running more stack than you would anticipate. True. Well, but yeah. that's because they're riding really steep <clears throat> stuff. Exactly. So for us average Joes, we probably don't ride that all the time. So you don't have to worry about that quite as much. Mm-hmm. That said, for my 150 this year, I'm building that up to basically just be a North Star bike. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I do plan on hitting some very steep stuff on regular occasion. So I actually am going to throw a spacer underneath, and I'm usually a guy that runs no spacers. Yeah. I like a low stack, and I have what I believe the flexibility to be able to sustain that. Yeah. Um, but in, when it comes to spacers, Steve, 
I've seen some people using like really the thin wafy carbon spacers yeah. that are basically like just a single layer of carbon almost they look like. And then they have portions of it where it's like reinforced and a little thicker. bit of thicker. Yeah. yeah. I don't like those very much. I don't. I go by solid ones as well mm-hmm. just because I don't want that moving around. I don't want that chance for chatter or I've squeaking had them crack or creaking too. or I've seen them crack. Yeah. Yeah. On a, on a lot of bikes, I won't even, I mean, I'll, I always use carbon on mine, Yeah. but there are times where you might want to just use good basic aluminum ones. Totally. You're not saving a ton of weight. No, 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 it's really not. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, as far as your stack height, the best way to figure that out is through really trial and error, or you can really find a person that's really good at bike fit. But if you're brand new, you haven't figured out out how you ride yet anyway. Yeah. And that's going to change. So it might not really be worth that. I always think it's helpful to keep one to two spacers above the stem. If yeah. you can. I think you should have 10 millimeters, you know, five to 10 millimeters of extra play. Yes. So above it, you know, yep. just, and I always, a lot of people will cut their steerer tube mm-hmm. and they will cut it so that it's shorter than their stem. So they can just put their, their top cap right onto the stem. It looks cool. It looks cool. You should never do that on a mountain bike. Yeah, I agree. Always with that. have the steerer tube come all the way through so it has the most amount of grip and it won't crush the end of your steerer tube. I agree. And put a five millimeter on top, then put your cap on. Yes. Always do that. That is a safety thing and yeah. it's it's actually pretty critical. I've seen it fail before. Yeah, I think it's a good idea for everybody to do. Yeah. So I have mine basically cut so that it is flush slightly above. Yeah. And then after that, I put a spacer on top of there and that spacer gets held in place by the just above. Yeah. That just above. It's just enough to catch Mm -hmm. that little five mil spacer. Yep. And then I just throw the top cap on there. Absolutely. That's exactly how I do it. Um, stepping slightly backward, carbon paste. If you have a carbon stem onto an aluminum steer or carbon stem on carbon steer. Yeah. Please use carbon paste. Yes. Always use carbon paste. Yes. Yeah. It's a very good idea. Yeah. Now aluminum on aluminum. Do you feel like you need to use carbon um, paste? Usually I just, I use a tiny bit of, um, of like slick honey or okay. park, you know, grease. Got it. And that's it. That just helps because dirt will get in between there, even if there's nothing yeah. and that will create creaking issues. So I put a tiny bit of lubrication to seal out any sort of Got it. stuff. And then you just torque it down to spec. Yes. And that's what lawyers would say to say, however... I recently went through a situation where I had something torqued down to spec and with carbon paste and it was not enough in a pretty severe crash. So Ah, yeah. Okay. Not that I mean, you want your bars to, you want your stem to slip on your steer tube Mm -hmm. in the event of a big crash. Yes. But my stem came almost entirely off my steer tube. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, it was bad. That's very bad. Very painful. My ribs hurt a lot. Oh. So, uh, that's taken care of Mm -hmm. deciding your stem length. That's when we talk about something like effective reach. Yes. And that's a totally made up term by me. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe other people talk about it and it's established. Probably. But I, (laughs) but I'm not saying that to discredit you. I'm just saying, I just, so effective reach. What I look at that is the reach of the bike, which is basically the front or the, the bottom bracket to the center of the steer tube, right? All the way forward. I look at the effective reach, meaning like basically where my hands are Mm -hmm. and that's the stem length plays into that. It does. So I kind of know what like an ideal reach measurement is for me in terms of comfort for XC. Yeah. And then I also know what that is in terms of enduro. And that's just through trial and, trial error. and error. And then, so I look at the reach of the bike and then I just basically say, okay, well I need 35 more millimeters. So I get a 35 millimeter stem or I need 80 millimeters. So I get an 80 millimeter stem. Exactly. 
So that's how I decide stem mm -hmm. length. Carbon versus aluminum stems. Honestly, it's really not a big deal. And you don't save a lot of weight with a carbon stem. No, you don't. Uh, because they have to use a ton of carbon to make it strong. Yes. Uh, one stem brand that I would really like to recommend to people is Syntace. S-Y-N-T-A-C-E. Yep. They're awesome. They white label stems for other companies. Like mm -hmm. all the S-Works stems are just Syntase stems. Um, specialized, a lot of their more Enduro style stems are also just Syntase stems. They make really good ones and you can find them for pretty cheap. Yeah. So, and they're really strong. Mm -hmm. They're known for having really good strength to weight. Yeah. So that's a good one. Uh, okay. Getting into handlebars. Oh, and 35 millimeter versus 31.8. No, whatever yes, it is. 31.8 yeah, yeah, yeah. is the standard. 35 is now like the big up and boy. coming, the big one. That's yep. the motocross handlebar standard, and it's becoming the standard in mountain bikes. Yeah, bigger diameter. Uh, the thing you have to remember is that the handlebar has to be engineered with that bigger diameter in mind. You don't just want an extremely stiff, never bending handlebar. No. You want some compliance in there. Yeah. And with 35 millimeters, a lot of the time, it would be easier for a brand to make a bar that just doesn't flex because it's bigger diameter, stronger, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, so brands like Envy, I know, and I'm sure other brands too, but brands like Envy put a ton of work into that. That's why it took them so long to have a 35 millimeter bar. Yeah. And some of theirs are still not in their new M, their M series of handlebars. Some of them are still 31. Yep. They're not all 35. Yep. Exactly. Because right. They're designed around a specific flex characteristic. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so yeah, that's basically uh, what you can decide between there for XC. I see near no reason to ever go to 35. No. Um, and for most trail riding, I don't see any reason for enduro or downhill. You could go to it, but really it's kind of an aesthetic thing more than anything else. Mm -hmm. It just looks cool. Yeah. You know, when you have a huge massive bar on a big downhill ish or yeah. enduro rig. And it also just depends on the brand that you want, yeah. you know, race do you want Renthal fat bars? Do you want race face? Do you want envy? Mm -hmm. You just, you know, you're going to be stuck with whatever bar instead combo. Yep. Your brand alliance. Yep. Uh, handlebars. You have flat bars, you have then riser bars mm. and the rise, you'll usually see something like 10, 20 or 30 millimeters, something like that. And rise and yeah. a handlebar. And a lot of people ask, is it better to have the rise in your, with spacers on your steering tube, or is it better to have it with the stem angle or is it better to have it with the handlebars? And the real question, the real thing you need to target with that is whatever puts your hands in the right place and whatever combination you need to make that. Yeah. However, I would always recommend not having excess steerer tube up front. Mm -hmm. And if you can keep your stack height low, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I would rather keep my stack height low with the stem or I should say with the steerer tube and yeah. then just make up for it with the handlebar or something yeah. else. And you have to remember a lot of times, unless we're talking pure cross country, you're running, you know, everybody's geometries now are running such short stems that you're mm -hmm. not going to have that option. You're not yep. going to get 10 millimeters out of a riser stem on yes. a 35 millimeter stem. Yep, it just doesn't exist. Work. You can't do it. Yep. So you have to, you know, figure out what you're going to do there. So theoretically we should see either taller steerer tube steer tubes on bikes or more rise or in more the bar. rise in the bars. Yeah. But also remember that more rise in the bar is going to introduce more flex characteristic unless the bar is designed around that. Yes. To maintain stack. the same characteristic all the exactly. way through. Yeah. And then the other thing to keep in mind is when you shorten that stack uh, or shorten that reach, forgive me with that shorter stem, but then you have, you know, the longer frame, that sort of thing. Yeah. But if you're coming in closer to yourself, then you don't need the bars probably to be higher. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, just something to keep in mind. Uh, I personally, for cross country, I love to have a flat bar. Mm -hmm. Um, and people know I'm, I'm an envy guy and I love their M five bar. Um, it's awesome. Is that a truly flat bar or is it like a positive eight or, you know, it used zero. to be, I think that their current flat bar is like a positive five. Okay. So it's a slight 
We I call it a rise it because the bar clamp is just offset slightly. So the top of the bar is sweeped straight across. Yes. The bottom has a little bit of a. Yes. I yeah. believe that it's positive five. Okay. So you could flip that upside down and then you could get negative five if you want. Yeah. Um, that's like what you see some of the Euro XC dudes doing. Yeah. I know the Scott bikes are coming that way yes. from the factory usually now. So, and, and the, I, let's see, which bars have I ran prior to this for XC? So I've ran. I've used the Truvative, whatever their XC flat bar was. Mm -hmm. um, I've used Race Face has a flat bar. I use I use that one. Mm -hmm. I've used the S Works flat bar, and I've used just the standard aluminum flat bar from Specialized. Okay. So uh, those are the bars I've used that are flat bars that I can recall. I'm sure I've ridden other ones on demo bikes, that sort of a thing. Yeah. But for all the flat bars, uh, the Envy one feels the best. It feels like it dampens vibration. It feels like it gives me the most control. Mm -hmm. The Truvative felt the worst. I would take the aluminum specialized flat bar any day over that one. Yeah. The Truvative just basically felt like a leaf spring. It was like I was holding onto a bow oh, like from a bow and arrow, just, wah, 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 just bouncing nice. everywhere. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so that made the handling feel really when you hit hard hits, it was like super unpredictable feeling because you didn't know what the bar was going to do. Uh, the race face was fine, but not very impressive. And I felt like, uh, the big thing with the race face one is that is if I did hit hard hits like that, I felt like it would do unpredictable things, mm -hmm. but it didn't feel as twangy or like flexy, I guess, strangely as the, um, as that, that truvative one. Yeah. I feel so. like, I feel like the race face stuff in the past has been not, I don't want to say not tuned well, yeah. but not tuned properly for whatever yeah. event, you know. Second favorite handlebar would be that S-Works flat bar. Okay. They, I feel like it was really good. Uh, Specialized does a great job on a lot of their stuff and they do yeah. a great job there. But that, the flat, the Envy flat bar is by far and away, like it's like somehow great at everything. Yeah. And so that's, that's it's not as light as the S-Works bar, I don't think. And no. it's not as light as the race face. No, it's not. I don't even think it's as light as that Truvative, yeah. but it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It I just know that, feels really good. I know that I've loved the the Cannondale C1s, which are private labeled by, I actually don't even know. They're yeah. private labeled by someone else under, you know, Cannondale contract, but I like those. But I also, the NVM5 is probably my favorite as well. If I could have a wish list from the NVM5, I would ask for maybe like half a degree to agree more sweep. Exactly. Because I think it's a, an eight degree and I would prefer a nine out of yeah. the sweep. Yeah. Like in sweep is basically when a handlebar bends back to you, mm -hmm. basically think of it like looking down it above and you're bending the handlebar back in toward yeah. you toward the top tube basically yeah that's your sweep i would ask for just a slight bit of sweep yeah. there yes that's yeah. all that i would ask for absolutely which their m6 bar is but you can't get it in an eight degree or i mean an eight millimeter or five millimeter rise yeah yeah so. um okay so bars there for xc are done bars mm -hmm. for enduro which ones do you prefer um it, i would mvm7s yeah the the cannondale my my habit 29 is getting a set of the m6s only because yeah. i don't need anything you know, bigger for that bike, even yeah. though that's going to be my big bike for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say the M6 or M7 yeah. would be my choice. Which other ones have you used and which, which did you like about, what did you like about those? I've, I've used everything from race face. Um, I've used Renthal fat bars, the fat bar carbons, mm -hmm. the fat bar light carbon, oh, yeah. should I say. That'd be um, interesting to try. I and, always ran Renthal and Moto. Yeah. And I, I didn't like them. Um, the, I think the rise and sweep were off for me. Hmm. My favorite is a five. Uh, five degree rise, nine degree sweep. That is like my go-to. Yeah. Um, that's what I love. <laughs> so, um, the envy stuff though, I have to say will always, if you can afford it, you should do envy because they tune their stuff so well. Yeah. They've just, the, the layup is made so nicely and so properly for whatever you're doing. Yep. 
that the they just dampen everything and they're just smooth and they just they just work. Yeah, they're good. Any other brands that you've used? Um, I've used uh, the God Truvative had an enduro bar. I think it was um, Jerome Clements's oh, bar. Yeah. Yep, they and had I a signature bar. Did not like that. Huh. Um, it was. I felt that it was, as I recall, and I would have to look at the specs, but the rise was in between what I wanted. It was like a little bit too uh, little rise or too much rise yeah. compared to what I wanted. And so it just felt off yeah. in that sense. I remember you had a bar break on you. And that was a at mammoth. Yeah. And that was a race off face. of a drop and the bar snapped and you just chest, you just full on chest slammed your stem, right? Yeah. And that was a race phase <laughs> six C. The problem was. When on that particular bike, I had a, a, a reverb dropper seat post yep. and I used one of the, the hydraulic reverb clamp and it was yep. the left under because I was on a one by. So I was under the bar on the left side. Yep. One word of advice to every single person out there, always use that little, basically in between the clamp where the bolt goes through, there's that little dead yes. spacer thing. It just allows like a, you not to over clamp those yeah. when you don't have a brake lever attached to it. Uh, Absolutely. Always do that because I over clamped that and actually pre cracked the bar ooh. and that's right where it had, um, it shattered on me. So that wasn't race faces fault. That was my fault. Brutal. And that is one thing you should always, if you have a reverb, Always put that little spacer thing in there. Yeah. Always do it. Don't save the weight. Just do it. I would have shattered. Like all of me would have just shattered. Oh, I hurt for two days after that. I still raced the race, <laughs> but I, though. Oh, it you're, hurt so bad. You're so much more robust than me. I'm like a fragile flower. Well, <laughs> like I said, I would have just like, hey, just shattered into pieces. <laughs> like, <laughs> You'd have been like this. What was it in Terminator when he got... Uh, yes, exactly the, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he froze yeah. and then shattered. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That would have been Jonathan. Yeah, that would have been me if yeah. that would have happened. So yeah. basically the stem would have just gone through my chest cavity. So This yeah. is true, yeah. Um, so uh, working out from the bars. Yeah. And let's talk about grips. Grips. What you, grips are your favorite? You turned me on to the ODIs, man. Dude, I, my brother did. He was the first oh, one there. Yeah, for me. Dustin, and good then, job, buddy. Yeah, so I can't remember the name of They're these the, ODIs. The, the Pro Elites or Elite Pro, I forget. Elite Pros, yeah, yeah, I think that's the name of them. Yeah. They have like, in fact, I'll be looking this up while I'm saying this. They've but got like a domed thing that holds your palm assembly. Kind of. Your palm, palm assembly. assembly. You yeah. know, on your hand. Make sure you assemble thing. the palm first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have like a little dome that kind of fills the 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 hollow that your hand naturally creates. Yeah. Uh, my brother didn't like that. So he shaved that off with a razor blade. Then why did he even get them? Because he likes the rest of the grip. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, but I really like those grips. Yeah. They're my favorite ones. I like the fingertip gritting on the bottom side of the lever. Yes. They have waffling yes. on the under underside. Yeah. And the reason that that's good is if you get mud, packed in there, waffling is your best friend Yes, because it allows for shedding of that mud. Yeah. Whereas if your hand gets any mud on it and then you have like a full diamond grip yeah. without any waffling on there, it just turns into a slick. Yeah. So you want to have some waffling because that still gives you some relief to be able to grab onto. Yeah. And these also have no ridge on the outside with a hard clamp. That's the main reason why I love these exactly. And that's what I, I didn't realize it, that the outside of my pinky finger was always sore when I had a grip that had an outer clamp on it. And like a metal It'll lock on on yeah. the outside. And now I understand I would why. get like holes in the outside of my palm there, like toward the very end, basically yeah. like your fifth metacarpal yes. right there. I would get just huge blisters and holes worn in there after days at North Star yeah. or Whistler yeah. because my hand would be just barely rubbing on that. But mm -hmm. when you 
add on how many braking bumps you come across in a bike park that yeah. whole time. Yeah. Uh, they're really good grips. They I are. love them. Uh, they're $28. So, I mean, I know they aren't super cheap, but I had mine last the entire season last year at North star. And the other thing is you won't go through, uh, gloves yes. as fast either because that, that wearing that you were talking about on your hand. Yeah. Guess what goes through first? Exactly right. Your gloves. Yep. Yeah. So it's really, they're, they're solid. So that's what I like on my enduro bike. Mm -hmm. On my XC bike, I have different grips. So I've used ESIs for a long time. Yeah. And I like the ESIs on my bike. Yep. On um, my scalpel last year, I had them on the scalpel team. Yeah. And I've actually switched over now to a different grip and it's from ODI again. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, we're not sponsored by ODI in any way. Um, they're just one that, uh, I, I basically was getting those elite pros and I was like, Hey, I'm going to try these ones too. These look kind of interesting. Yeah. And these ones are like, so they're the, uh, they're called the F one series vapor Okay. or the F one vapor grip. And they're basically like, they're not as, so they aren't sm as smooth in terms of texture as the ESIs because ESIs are a silicone grip yeah. and they basically have like a perfectly like smooth surface to them. Yeah. Uh, it, the one gripe I've had is that with ESIs, when they get wet, I feel like they don't grip quite as they well. Kind of slippery. Yes. Yeah. I've felt that yeah. if, if they wear out a little bit, I find it even gets worse and they get more porous. Yeah. So, uh, but these ODIs, they wear out quickly. Like, I mean, really quickly. Okay. Like I'll run through, if I'm riding a lot, I'll run through a pair of these for sure in a month. Okay. Um, maybe even less. And if I crash, they tear pretty easily. Okay. But they're really soft. I feel like they're the perfect diameter. They're 31.5 millimeters. So they're kind of like an ESI chunky, I think maybe slightly less than the chunky. Yeah. The chunkies are 32 or 33. So yeah. they're a little less. So slightly less, but the, the feel of these grips is much better. They have like a dimpled relief pattern on them. And then for your fingers, they have these indentations within them as yeah, well. Big dimples almost. They're like fingertip dimples. Yeah. yeah. And your fingers don't necessarily have to rest in that, mm -hmm. but I genuinely feel a difference in how much grip strength is required for me to ride the bike with these. I feel like it's less. Okay. They're also easier to install than ESIs. I see. It's the same sort of process or it's a slip on grip, mm -hmm. but it's easier to install. Gotcha. So they're my favorite ones and I'm going to, I'm going to have to try these because I was ESI chunky mm -hmm. last year mm -hmm. and I like them. I was fine with them. Yep. They're uh, good. But I and they're just, so cheap just this year on when my new scalpel showed up, I just had a set of the elite pro ODIs, So I just threw them on there mm -hmm. and I've been running fine with those, you know, on the XC bike, on the XC bike there. It's not. With grips, yes, you can get lighter grips, but it really does, you don't save a whole lot with yeah. those sort of grips. Um, the other, other one I wanted to give a shout out for was the Lizard Skins DSP grips. I know Jeff Kabush, friend of the podcast, he's a big fan of those. Yeah. So he likes using those. Um, the biggest thing with the ESIs is they're so cheap. And the people behind ESI as a company are really cool. They are. So you feel really good when you support the company. Totally. So uh, I feel like you can't go wrong with them. Um, I feel like I've discovered something that gives me a bit of an edge, but... That may just be my mind. I yeah. don't know. Uh, okay. Now levers and position. Yes. So as we mentioned before, when you position your levers on your bike, you should position it so that every lever, first of all, every lever has a curve at the end, a fingertip hook. Yes. And that's what that's really for. Mm -hmm. So your index finger is all you should be breaking with. You on don't every brake lever. You don't need two, two fingers for braking ever on Magura's. You have to use two <laughs> fingers, but you're not supposed to. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, they're a bit woody. I would call those brakes. Yeah. It's kind of a wooden feeling. 
Um, at least in my experience, McGrew, if you're listening, we're, we're sorry if they're not, and if they're better since I've written them, I don't know, but they speak German, so we're fine. They can understand us. (laughs) I think they can understand us very well. (laughs) Germans speak in largely the German country. uh, They speak a lot of good English too. So that curve though, that's where your finger should be. That index finger. Yes. If your index finger is any further inboard, you're losing braking power. You are. So you should be setting up your brakes so that it's far enough in where basically put your hand comfortably on the grip, loosen up that clamp bolt for your brake lever, and then move it so that it is in that position so that your finger is right there in that end, end, end curve. So to in speak. that end curve. Yes. Then when you tighten up your levers on your carbon bars, I highly recommend using carbon paste. Mm-hmm. It's a very good idea. Carbon paste on everything that clamps to carbon is smart because it yes. won't make noise. Exactly right. And, and then you won't the, have to overclamp it. Exactly. And that's it. You won't have to overclamp things. And break your face yes <laughs> yes and when you break a set of handlebars so when you tighten the the levers some i think that there are torque specs recommended for mm-hmm. maximum torque specs but i also feel like the important thing is to have your levers so that they can move yes you don't want them to move while you're riding for sure no but you want them to move if something hits them hard yes. instead of breaking the lever yeah or for example the bars spin and then they hit your top tube your lever does mm-hmm. if it's looser it might save your top tube true you know what i mean in a really big impact yeah it could it could help with that then uh matching your shifters or mounting your shifters to your levers is commonplace yeah. and i like the look of it but also in some cases if you have strangely shaped hands and what i mean by strange is just not uh, you know something out of the norm mm-hmm. In that case, you may have to run your shift clamp separate. Yeah. And if that's the case, same story applies in terms of using carbon paste, torque specs, all yeah. that stuff. And that's, you know, the, the Shimano iSpec 2 system gives you about a half of an inch of play for the shifter on its own. It's pretty sweet. The SRAM setup with left and right specific matchmaker adapters and two bolt holes in your two threaded inserts in the shifter itself gives you more play. It's true. Yeah. But the problem is there's preset locations. So you have four preset locations, whereas Shimano, you can slide it an eighth of an inch if you want to. It's super nice to have. The problem with Shimano is that you have to take it off of the bike, adjust it, tighten it back on, then put it back in. Yes, that's not ideal. So it's not a quick way to adjust it with Shimano, but it is more infinitely adjustable. Yeah. And once you get it in the right spot, you don't have to move that exactly, again, which yeah. is really nice. Yes. Yeah. So, and then when you're matching that up, depending on the brand, uh, the brand you have, you can use something like, uh, Shimano and SRAM have their own solutions for yes. mounting that. But then if you have Magura or if you have formula or hope or some other brake company like that, you can use different ones. Wolf tooth makes so something now. Wolf tooth makes a bunch of their shift mount systems mm-hmm. that uh, they have them for Magura. They have them for Shimano a spec, uh, I spec AB. They have it for I spec two. They have it for SRAM matchmaker. So if you're running Shimano XT or XTR or Saint Brakes that are iSpec capable and you have an XX1 Eagle drivetrain system, yep. you can get mismatched. Pretty you know, sweet. You can get clamps to mount that. I think uh, Problem Solvers is another company. That Problem Solvers them. is the other one that does that's big on it. So yeah, yeah. Problem Solvers and Wolf Tooth. Yeah. I'm sh- there are probably other companies out there as well, mm-hmm. but those are some really cool solutions that you can use to clean up the mountings uh, slots there on your bars. Yeah. Which if you're a very small rider and you're running narrow bars and you have some sort of a rise, that sort of real estate can get pretty limited. It can. Um, so yeah. it's an important thing to have. Absolutely. Uh, what about accessories that you mount to your handlebars? Well, there's togs first of all. Yes. Uh, you need to get me new togs, by the way. I'm, I'm, I have a set for you. Oh, good. Yeah. I yeah. need togs again. Okay. Dave, when you ride without them, 
It sucks. I know. You wish you had him, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, po- on, the, on the scalpel. Yes. I poisoned you, you with did. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you ride with him, you don't want to ride without. Their mm-hmm. little thumb over grip system, that's the acronym TOGS, and it basically is... It, we all ride with our thumbs over when we're cruising and not yeah. really going so super hard, like climbing something like that. Yeah. And, uh, that's when it's really nice to have that added layer of security. So your hand doesn't blow off the top of the bars. Totally. And uh, did you see they're going to come out? They've got road togs coming for us. Gravel got, people. I've got some. Oh, do you want to try them? Cause I don't have a gravel bike built yeah, up right now. Duh. Okay, cool. I'll have you try them out. Yeah. 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 Sweet. I've got them. Okay. So anyways, they, 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 that's an awesome accessory that I totally recommend, especially for, if you're putting in long time, you know, long hours in the saddle. Yes. Uh, I do recommend their flex togs. I had their carbon togs on and that really hard crash in Utah. Didn't. Yeah. And they did a number on my ribs, I think. So, uh, the flex togs have a rubber end. That's yeah. a big fan of that now. And the flex togs are, they're plenty good. They, yeah. Oh they, yeah. Yeah. They're they hold great you just for fine. exactly what you need. So yeah. Uh, Bell. Which bell do you recommend? Um, I I usually don't ride with a bell on mine. Yeah. yeah. If I do, I have one of just the hangy little cowbells. Yeah. And um, friend of the podcast, Kyle Gardella, who's an electrical engineer, yeah. fashioned these little, it's an on-off switch in the form of a small, like, plastic, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a little tether yeah. with a magnet attached to the end of it, and you just throw the magnet up into the cowbell, and yeah. it locks the dinger to uh. the actual bell itself so that when you're climbing and going slow, you don't have to hear it ding, 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 ding all the time, and That's then you clever. can just pop the magnet off and go. But usually what I do is I put a ma- um, one of those cowbells on one of the dog collars yeah. because I figure the dogs are always with us, and they're bouncing around a bunch. <laughs> so one, I can al- always hear my dogs and know where they are, Yeah. but second, people are around us can hear them too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's idea. usually what I do. So I don't have to be the annoying person with a bell. I don't have a jangly bell. Yeah. I have a voluntary ding, ding bell. Yes. And there are some really nice ones out there. Nog is the one I use. K N O G It's the Nog. Oi. Uh, and Oi is O I. So that's my favorite one that I have Yes, because it, it does not look like a bell and it's super tiny. It's very sleek. Yes. It's just a round thing that goes around your handlebars. I and mean, it looks like a clamp. It looks like a ring clamp that goes on your bars with a little lever. Exactly. They're so awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. So are. I love running that thing. I, I don't know where mine is. It's somewhere in the Utah dust after that crash. Oh, it, it actually just, fell off. Oh, everything fell off. Oh, good. This crash was gnarly. It stripped out the clamps on my, uh, SRAM guide ultimates. It stripped out the threads. On the matchmaker clamp? On the, you know where, no, just like the bolt to hold on your brake lever. Yeah. That goes through to the clamp. It stripped that out. Oh, wow. And those things moved inward up my bars and just gouged up my envies. They somehow didn't break. Jeez. It almost tore the stem completely off. And that thing was torqued down to spec with carbon paste. It snapped the top cap bolt, snapped that off. And my top cap is somewhere out there in Utah too. Wow. It's a hard crash. Yeah. It was painful. So this thing did its purpose too in breaking off and not breaking me. Cause I'm sure I somehow hit that with my chest as well when I crashed, but yeah. Yeah. So Nog Oi, it's my favorite bell. Uh, you can get the spur cycle. It's way louder. The spur cycle is, it's also extremely expensive. It's also a bit hipstery in terms of appearance. So I don't feel like it fits on every mountain bike if you care about such things. Yeah. But it is much louder. The spur cycle is, but man, I, that Nog Oi is perfect because I feel like when I'm within bell range of a person. They hear it. Yes. It's totally fine. Yeah. And I don't have to have an extremely loud one. And then it doesn't get in the way. And it honestly kind of like just, it 
blends perfectly yeah. in. Because cool. that's the big thing about the spur bell is it's usually so high off the bars that if you do crash, it'll get kicked to the side and then it won't work until you readjust yeah. it and that it's in the way so it will break easier. Yeah, and a lot of people kind of orient them 90 degrees like so they're leaning forward or backward or something. Yeah, and they just but flick with their thumb. Kind of off, yeah, so yeah. I like the nog myself. Yeah. That's my favorite one. I'll probably get a nog just to be I was thinking that we should get like a little horn from Walmart. You know, the, 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 just, yeah, <laughs> the actual, like the, the Shriners yes. car clown. Yes. Yeah. I should just put that on there when I ride instead. I think that'd be pretty funny. Can I just do that? Yeah, yeah, you totally can. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to find funny. one of these. Is there anything else that you put on your handlebars? Um, you, no, I don't put anything on the handlebars, but I think, um, Next, we talk about cable routing, maybe? I don't know. That's yeah, kind of yeah, important with cockpits. Yeah, I feel like we could have a cable routing episode in its own, though. Oh, of course. Yeah. But but yeah. I think that one of the things that people don't understand is a lot of noise comes from the cables in the front of the bike when yes. they're going over rough terrain. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of people that I know will use the, there's the little, the little separator thing. S-hook things. The S-hook things that do move around. Mm -hmm. Um, Specialized actually has a really nice little setup now where it's like a little sleeve kind of like that, but it's not mm -hmm. flexible and it puts the cables together. Oh, cool. So it's an OEM piece and I think you can buy it separately. Nice. Those are awesome because then you can pop them on and off and mm -hmm. change them whenever you need to. Nice. If you don't want to buy those, good stainless steel locking zip ties. Yes. So the body is plastic. But then the metal mechanism the metal is, a, is, or the mechanism that locks it is metal. And so yep. those are from, um, I think the company's tie wrap. Just don't tighten them too tight because they can pinch they can, on a cable and yes. not let it shift. Well. Yeah. So I usually just do that because then yep. all of my cables are locked together so they won't vibrate against each other. Yep. And that way everything's nice and smooth and quiet and they stay separated. And so. watch your cables tapping on the bars. That's a common one that people miss. Yeah. They don't realize that the cable is flapping up and tapping on the bar and they chase down a, a noise forever. Yep. You know, yeah. And if, and if that's the case, if that's happening, your, your cables are too long. Oh yeah, for sure. Way too long. Last thing I was going to say, bar ends. I don't think that anybody really uses bar ends anymore, but actually I take that back. I know they do. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of different options. Ergon seems like the best ones for such a thing. Yeah. If you, if you want those and hand guards, enduro bros. And just as we talked about with zip, the mountain bike industry is obsessed at doing whatever the moto industry does. Does FMF make those uh, <laughs> or is it pro circuit monster? Yeah. Monster. yeah. <laughs> They're made the, out of drywall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For Kyle, Kyle jokes. Um, so, but they, uh, hand guards, a lot of guys are using them. I totally understand the purpose yeah. behind them and the utility. Uh, I just don't know if I'm ready to be that much of a moto bro on my mountain yeah. bike. Dorks. So, yeah. yeah. As I say that I'll like run into a tree and, and snap some fingers. And then you'll be like, Oh, I'm going to put some, some Kyle guards on Kyle there. Guards yeah. on there yeah. <laughs> I think that covers it uh, for cockpit setup. If you have any questions, let us know. If you want a top cap for your cockpit setup, you can go to mtbpodcast.com to the store. And they're and there. Up. Yeah. We have the, the, the likes to party horns, likes to party. And we just have the logo. Yeah. The good basic one, whichever you wish. Yes. Uh, okay, Steven. And if you already have one of those, yeah. tag us in an Instagram post or something every yeah. once in a while. I know we've been gone, but we love you guys and we want to hear from you. Oh yeah. Love don't fade. Yeah. It's still fade. there. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into the tips. Tips time. You don't care. They'd count on your tips to live. All right, Steve, what's your tip that you want to share? Uh, I kind of want to talk about horns now. I want to talk about, <laughs> wah, wah, you know, anyway, um, no. Uh, so mine is actually, uh, I discovered this, it's from Wolftooth. 
They good always company. build really good stuff. Like They're everything clever. they have is very clever and good. Um, so I found that on the habit, mm-hmm. for me to put even just my 600 milliliter trainer road bottle, mm-hmm. shameless plug. <laughs> Thanks, um, trainer road. Yeah. Recording in the studio. You. Yeah. Um, even just putting my 600 ml bottle and a Lazine side load cage, it was hard to get the bottle in and out without mm. hitting the rear shock. Yeah. So Wolf Tooth makes this system called the B Rad. They mm-hmm. have a bunch of different versions. They have the B-Rad 2, the 3. They have different adapters for putting like a multi-tool or a, you know, like an enduro tube and, you mm-hmm. know, strap set up. Um, but I ended up just getting the B-Rad bottle adjuster thing. So basically it uses the two bolts that are existing in the frame mm-hmm. and then I can slide it up and down and pick where I want my bottle cage to go. Because oh, nice. I noticed that my bottle could go about an inch lower and make it easier to get in and out of the frame. Oh, sweet. And it only adds like an eighth of an inch of extra height, but nice. I can get it further away from the shock. So I ended up installing that and setting it up so that it nestled the bottle further down. So your bottle cage, I'm sure, has some sort of adjustability within their range, and then this extends that even further. Well, the bottle cage does not. So I, Oh, your design doesn't? It well, just has two spots? Well, it has two holes, but I ended up... Um, I really like the Supercaz, um, the the Anno uh, fly cage, which yeah. are super light. They're lighter than any carbon out there, and they hold the bottle really well. Yeah. So... We're off of the fabrics for now just because the fabric bottle cages, for some reason, like once they start to wear out, they just become problematic yep. no matter what you do. Yep. So um, so I'm trying those with standard bottles, the Flyanos from Supercaz. And so that has no adjustment in it whatsoever. So it just has two round holes for the bolts rather than ovalized ones. Yeah, one of them is ovalized, but that's only for like variants and frame tolerances. You right. know? So it. the upper one is just a regular hole for an M5 mm-hmm. bolt, and then the lower one is adjustable. But So it doesn't allow any movement in in the actual bottle cage at all, but I needed to get it an, an inch or so further down mm-hmm. towards the bottom bracket seat tube junction. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I ended up doing was the little wolf tooth B-rad and it shifted me down, got it to where I could get the bottle in and out without, you know, ripping on the bottle cage. Huh. So it's actually pretty cool. So it's a, it's a cool little trick. It's a cool system. But they also have a bunch of them where you can mount two bottles like at side 45 side. degree angles or you can take one bottle cage and it makes it into a two bottle mount or you know so there's lots of options it's a yeah. really cool modular system huh so check it out it's kind of like track lighting neat except yeah, for yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, so my, my tip is going to be on the rapid recovery or rapid reboot recovery boots. If that <laughs> They're sense. like moon boots, but for sitting there. And, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> tip done. That's it. Yeah. Um, so basically it's something that I've wanted to get some of these for a long time and they're basically just squeezy boots. Mm-hmm. They're pressurized boots. You sit down in them and then they pressurize specific zones of your legs and they sell themselves as a recovery aid. And the science actually really is inconclusive as far as it improving your performance for athletes, for athletes. Yeah. Now the science is conclusive in terms of improving circulation Yes, it has proven. So it gets so, the pooling back out of your legs. Yes. Yeah, so these are used, these are used in medical circumstances all the time yeah, for that absolutely. very reason. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you have surgery or something like that and you can't move. They put these things on and then what it does is it aids circulation and allows mm-hmm. that blood to not pool, goes back through processes, the blood as it should, you know, yeah. through kidneys, filtering all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, and to get new oxygen. And That's inherently, nice. you're going to get rid of lactic acid by increasing blood flow, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Supposedly. lactic acid. That's, that well, you're getting rid of the bad exist. junk. You're getting rid of the bad junk. Theoretically, but does bad junk even exist? That's the thing that we don't know. Yeah. Metabolic byproduct does, but is it bad? We don't actually know. Okay. Like, it, does it make us sore? We don't know. Yeah. 
that's the kind of the, the crazy thing about it. So, but what it does do absolutely is it forces you to lay down. Mm-hmm. So I'm not very good at laying down after I do a workout and recovering. Yeah. I'm pretty good at getting up and getting busy and doing things. And I think that we're all in that boat. So yeah. at the very least, these things force you to lay down. It's a very expensive way to spend money on forcing yourself to lay down. Cause they're basically a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, but the other side of things that I absolutely can confirm, and I don't need science to confirm this is they feel amazing. They mm-hmm. feel really good. They feel like a fantastic leg massage. Interesting. So, uh, basically it, number one, they feel good. Number two, they force me to lay down. Number three, you could use some bro science to try to bridge some gaps and try to say that it actually aids in recovery too. Okay. Outside of just making you lay down and outside of making you feel better. Right. Yeah. But at the very least, I genuinely swear it's worth it. You could go and like, if you're training a lot, you know how tough it is when you're going through a heavy training block and how tired your legs feel, yeah. how fatigued and sore they get. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would go and get a massage if that's the case. Those massages, if it's a good sports massage therapist, that's probably going to be over a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. And it's probably an hour long. So you do 10 of those massages and you've paid for these things. So mm-hmm. I use these things after every single workout. Gotcha. So, you know, in a week I'm getting in six uses out of these things. Mm-hmm. So in perhaps that's just me justifying the expense, but I feel it like it. Yeah. But at <laughs> but the same okay. time, it's, they're awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're really, they're really, really effective. There are a lot of different brands. Rapid reboot is the one that I got, but, uh, we have Norma text now here at the office. Cause once Nate let me, once our CEO let me spend that money on this independently, he's like, Oh, it's fantastic. The company's going to get a bunch of them. I was like, thanks guy. <laughs> Glad I <laughs> could test this 90 day return yeah. policy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Um, but I've used Norma Tex, They're good. I've used elevated legs. They're very good. Mm-hmm. Elevated legs is, uh, I've also heard that like really cool people use them. What is, or, what is Keegan Swenson use? Elevated legs. Okay. He uses the elevates. Okay. Um, and I've heard really kind people, awesome people are behind that brand. So that's cool. If okay. you want to support them because of that, um, there's nothing really that drew me to rapid reboot other than the fact that like their brand seemed reputable and the product seemed fine. So, okay. and it's good. It's really cool. So I, I really like them. If you're the type of person that's training a lot, they feel great. Um, I even like when, uh, Sarah and I took an anniversary trip and we flew down somewhere and then I was tempted to bring the boots. Cause I was just like, man, it would feel really good. Even though I'm not training just after the flight. Cause you know, you get <laughs> flight legs and everything's all swollen, <laughs> Okay, but I didn't bring them. Um, good. so <laughs> good. Sarah wanted to bring them. So, oh, she yeah. did too. Oh, yeah, oh okay. Too. Well, never mind. Yeah. 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 She steals them all the time. Oh, good. Yeah. She says they've, yeah, they feel awesome. Nice. So. Um, I have them in my office now and I'm going to probably use them after my workout today. There you go. That's how it works. Nice. Well, cool. Uh, Steven, thanks, man. Of course. We made it happen. We did. Uh, we'll get this one up and hope you all enjoy it. Uh, first, by the time we're recording this first downhill world cup or second downhill world cup is going to be happening. Fort Williams, Fort William, Fort bill. So that'll be exciting Good old times. Bill. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we can all enjoy that one. Tune into Red Bull TV and check that out. Head over to the MPB podcast store and support Worldwide Cyclery. They're an awesome company. They are. Talk to you all next time. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.